taking a break from First John this summer, and we're going through uh, Matthew, continuing to work our way through Matthew a little bit. And I call it Instructions for Gospel Workers. And obviously, before we read it, stand and read it together, obviously, I talked about this last time, there are things that apply directly to us, and there are other things that apply specifically to them back then. We are not apostles. We have not walked with the risen Christ physically, bodily, or seen him. Um, that was a requirement for being an apostle. And as far as I know, no one in this room has raised anybody from the dead. If, if that's true, you have. Just let me know. I'd like to hear about it. I'm not against that. That would be an awesome thing. But their, And also their message was pre-cross. It was before Jesus died and rose. And their message was simple, the, simply the kingdom of heaven is near. So ours is the kingdom of heaven has come in the person of Christ and the full gospel. But the principles that we will see, there are basic principles here that apply to us just as much today as they did to the original 12. So that's what we'll look at this morning. So let's stand together as we read Matthew 10, beginning in verse 11. You know what, we're going to read a good portion of it, but I'm not, don't, don't get worried as I read on. I'm, I'm not going to preach on the whole thing this morning, so we'll be okay. All right, hear the word of God to you this morning. Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. I tell you the truth, it'll be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on, that, on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. 
For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives the one who sent me. Anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And if if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and errant word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives. This morning you may be seated. Brothers and sisters in Christ, according to our daily bread, April 6, 1995 to be precise, Hannah Hernard, author of Hind's Feet in High Places, some of us may have heard of that book, was once paralyzed by fear. Then she heard a sermon on scarecrows that challenged her to turn her fear into faith. And I'm going to read it for you. This is what it says. The preacher said, A wise bird knows that a scarecrow is simply an advertisement. It announces that some very juicy and delicious fruit is to be had for the picking. There are scarecrows in all the best gardens. If I am wise, I too shall treat the scarecrow as though it were an invitation. Every giant in the way which makes me feel like a grasshopper is only a scarecrow beckoning me to God's richest blessings. And then he concluded, faith is a bird which loves to perch on scarecrows. That's powerful. So often in life we miss out because we give in to our fears, both imagined and real. When it comes to presenting the gospel to others, what are some of the scarecrows that prevent us from being faithful to the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Right? I'm sure if we were being honest, I said, what's some of your top fears? Uh, if I asked this to Christians, one of them would be witnessing. <laughs> I've seen it again and again. Well, here are some of the scarecrows that I've seen. I won't say the right thing. How many times have I heard that? Pastor, I don't know what to say. I might mess it up. I might say the wrong thing. So they're afraid for that reason. I'm afraid I'll be mocked at. I'll be laughed at as weird or different. I'll be ostracized. There's a fear of rejection. No one likes that. Another fear, I'm not sure that I'm called. How do I know God wants me to do this? I've spilt a lot of ink on that one in seminary and in preaching. The other one we're afraid of is failure. No one likes a setup to lose. We all want to win. And sometimes when we share the gospel, we know it's not always uh, a clear victory that people repent right there and believe. And so we're afraid of failing. We're afraid that it's going to bring tension to our family. Because I'll tell you, one thing that does tend to bring tension is the gospel. Believe it or not. When I first got saved, I was the black sheep of the family. I thought, oh, cool, I'm saved. Now the family will be... No. (laughs) There was more tension for other reasons, which we'll see in this text. I'm afraid that it'll bring suffering into my life if I share the gospel. And ultimately, we could fear death because it is possible. 
It's certainly possible more in other countries than it is here, but I got news for you. Um, we're, not always, we're not headed in a great direction here either in terms of um, acceptance of the gospel. And then, of course, we're afraid it'll open us up to evil people's attacks and then we won't have any defense. Do you ever hear people say, I don't want to be a doormat? You ever hear that one? Well, once you start sharing the gospel, they label you as one of those Christian folk fanatics. Well, if you're like me and you often find yourself allowing those fears to blunt your witnessing efforts, then we have some really good news in this passage from Jesus himself. Because in this passage before us this morning, Jesus addresses these fears head on. And he teaches us to take heed to his voice, not our fears. That's what we're going to see. Jesus is telling us to heed his voice, not the other voices that might come from a place of fear. So this is the message we're going to see, and I'm only going to deal with the, it's a five-pointer for this uh, particular chapter, but we're only going to deal with two and a half. Ah, you never heard that one, have you? I have two and a half points this morning. But we're going to deal with the, the third point, we're only going to do half of it, and we'll start hit the ground running next time with the second half of that point and then do the last two. So here's what we're going to see. As he sends us out into his father's harvest field, Jesus instructs us to be five things. Here we go. And they all start with a D because preachers like to do that to help us remember things. And here's what, what he uh, instructs us to be. First of all, discerning. He doesn't want us to be naive or gullible. He wants us to be discerning. Secondly, he wants us to be dependent. We need to be dependent, as we saw earlier in the service, upon God and His mercy and His Spirit and His grace. Third of all, we need to be determined. This is following Jesus is not for the faint of heart. This is something that we have to be determined. Um, Fourth, we have to be daring to take some godly risks. And fifth of all, it sums up the whole thing, we need to be devoted to Jesus. Those are the five things. And notice, let me say this, um, notice how I, I phrase it, as he sends us out into his f- father's harvest field, Jesus instructs us to be these things. Because in the context, Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send more workers out. And then the next thing he does is in answer to that prayer, sends 12 out. And so that's the same principle for us. We are to pray for workers, And then we are to be a part of the answer to that prayer. So we're not just praying that other people will do the work. We're praying God send me to. We need more, but I need to be a part of that more. And so that's it. So the first thing we're going to look at is he instructs us as gospel workers to be discerning. So many times our witnessing efforts end before they even begin because we feel we fear failure and we forget that we have not failed when we have lovingly passionately and compassionately presented the gospel to someone and they have not received it we have not failed when that happens we fail when we fail to present the gospel lovingly and boldly The results are not up to us. The results are up to the Lord. He's the Lord of the harvest. We're just workers. 
And so there is conviction in that, but there's also great encouragement. There's conviction in this. How many of us are as faithful as we'd like to be even deep in our hearts as Christians on sharing the gospel? So it doesn't take away the conviction that we need to be doing this. But the beauty of it is we know that when we come out as frail and as stumbling and as stammering as we are, when we do it with fear and trembling and faith in Jesus, we know that, that we, if we do that faithfully, that is ob- obedience by faith and God honors it. And that we haven't failed then. The only failure is to fail to share the gospel. That, that could be the only failure. It's so freeing and refreshing to me personally to read these instructions that Jesus gave, gave to his disciples on the very first mission he sent them out on. So let's look at this, verses 11 to 15. Listen. Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Now I say these words are refreshing. Because it reminds me that sometimes no matter how tactfully, no matter matter how lovingly, no matter how gently I present the gospel message to some people, some will simply refuse to listen. And they will reject the message. No matter how well it's presented. Now, I do need to make sure, and you need to make sure that we're not being unnecessarily obnoxious. (laughs) We've all either have fallen into that ourselves or we've seen it from afar where our brothers and sisters are unnecessarily obnoxious. We certainly want to make sure we're not unnecessarily insensitive. But when push comes to shove, as we look at uh, the words of Jesus in the final analysis, some people will refuse. Jesus is telling us here, no matter even if a hand-picked apostle himself shares it with them. Now, Jesus prepares us for that possibility and even tells us what to do when it happens. Now, listen to what he says here in verse 14. Shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. I tell you the truth, it'll be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Now, listen. Why would Jesus, that is a strong statement. Why would he say it'd be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for those people that uh, the disciples preached to. I'll tell you why. Because Sodom and Gomorrah sinned in the night when all the only light they had was these little stars barely peeking through a dark universe. Amen? But these folks were sinning in the light of day when the sun was shining. In other words, they had the clear revelation of Jesus himself. And yet they still rejected it. And so Jesus says... As it were, shake the dust off your feet. And that's a testimony against them. They, they, we, God has shown his love to you. We've presented the gospel lovingly. We want to see you come to know the Lord and be a part of his kingdom. And, uh, but as we know, we cannot make people repent. How often in my life, I, I, I say this, I would like to get into somebody's body for them and repent for them, but it's... That's a sci-fi channel thing. That's not a reality. 
And how much more is it true in the day in which we live? We have the full revelation of God in the Old and New Testaments and people mockingly reject Him still. And we do shudder to think what the day of judgment will hold for them. And that's why, brothers and sisters, we continue to share the gospel. And Jesus continues with these words. Verse 16, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Here's where discerning really comes in. Again and again, I've seen with my brothers and sisters in Christ, those who profess to be followers of Christ, they just don't believe that there are wicked people out there who are willing to do you harm. Again and again, we see this in the New Testament. We've seen it in 1 John. We see it now in Matthew. um, Jesus saying it himself. Because notice what Jesus says. He doesn't simply say he's sending us out like sheep among goats. That would make sense. But what does he say? He's sending us out as sheep among wolves. And wolves are ferocious. Right? Wolves have teeth that I don't want to mess with. And so he says, be wise. Don't be naive about it. Howard Voss puts it this way. In facing viciously wicked opponents, their conduct was to be characterized by the prudence of serpents, that's wary, wary, sharp-sighted, quick to discern danger, and the guilelessness guilelessness of doves, innocent, so they have no just cause against them. So we're to be wise and we're to be innocent, gentle. And as we go out to work in our Father's harvest field, we need to be discerning. How often with God's people, praise the Lord, He moves in our hearts, He breaks us down, we we are broken over our sin, we are humbled, and and the Lord begins to form in us a pure heart, but unfortunately some of us become a little naive, don't we? Become a little too idealistic. And Jesus warns them before He even sends them, hey, you need to be wise about how you handle yourself. And you need to be innocent and gentle. So no one will be able to talk bad against us, right? First Peter talks about that about um, shutting the mouths of of those who mock by your good behavior. So we need to be shrewd as serpents, innocent as doves. We need to be discerning. But the second thing we also need to be, I'm showing you from this text, is dependent upon God. Look at verse 17 to 19. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Think about this. This has to be one of the biggest excuses we all use to stop us from being faithful witnesses, right? What happens if I say the wrong thing? What if I freeze or don't know the answer to all the questions? Now let me say this. Although Jesus' words obviously specifically refer to the apostles because we know they actually did fulfill this. They went before kings. They went before rulers. And they gave a testimony. And God certainly, if you read the book of Acts, God gave Paul the words to say in some pretty crazy situations. But they were perfect. But it's still, as a general principle, is true today. And I could say, I could tell you the truth. It's been borne out in my own life. And I'm just a little nobody. I'm a little santo. I'm a Sandutz. I'm not even a full Santo. But I know that God 
um, when I've stepped out in faith, that doesn't mean I never messed up. doesn't mean I never lost an argument. I've lost plenty. But I can't tell you how many times when I just thrown myself out there, the words came out, and I almost stepped back and said, where did that come from? I knew that came from God. And what Jesus is saying, you need to be dependent on me. And the issue here is, don't worry. You will be given what to say. And it won't be you speaking. It'll be the Spirit. My Father speaking through the Spirit. Or rather, the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So in other words... It's another one of those things where we have to step out in faith first and then God will meet us. Isn't it? Obey and watch God move. C.S. Lewis once wrote this, I've given talks to the Royal Air Force at Abington already and so far as I can judge they were a complete failure. Listen, this is C.S. Lewis talking, right? Yes, jobs one dare neither refuse or perform. So he said he felt like he was called to do this, but he was kind of reluctant. One must take comfort. Here's the part of the quote I love. I personally apply this to myself. One must take comfort in remembering that God used an ass to convert the prophet. Perhaps if we do our poor best, we shall be allowed a stall near it in the celestial table. I don't know about you, but I'll be happy hanging out with uh, the donkey who uh, was used by God to speak his words. Let me put it another way. If we step out in true faith dependent on the Spirit to speak through us, and it still seems to come out all garbled, mixed up, and imperfect, we can rest assured that God's will will be done since He's the one who's promised to meet us on the limb. Think about this, and then we'll get to our third and last point for this morning when we first came to know jesus we had to trust him to take away our sins and represent us before the father in heaven each time we take an opportunity to share the gospel with someone we have to trust him again to give us the words to speak it's all about trust isn't it the christian life just as much as coming to know christ is about faith look hebrews 11 by faith they did this. By faith, they did that. By faith, he did this. She did that. It's a lifestyle. It's not only to enter the kingdom, it's to live in the kingdom. To thrive in the kingdom is to trust God, take him at his word. Step out, take him at his word, and even if you have to look like a fool, look like a fool for Christ. Trust me, in my life, I look like a fool for enough other reasons. Much rather look like a fool for Christ. So let's stop and recap, and then we'll go to the last point I want to point out. We're afraid of failing. So Jesus answered, you'll only fail if you fail to do it. We're afraid that we won't know what to say or how to say it. Jesus says, don't worry about what you'll say. You'll be given what to say. Pretty encouraging. The last thing for this morning, he calls his disciples and He calls us to be determined. And that's what he addresses next, is our fear of persecution, our fear of suffering, and our fear of loss and death. So he reminds us of this. Look at verses 21 to 25. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. 
Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you're persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant to be like his master. If the head of the household has been called Beelzebub, then how much more the members of his household. Hmm. Jesus knew he was sending them out in perilous times. Brother against brother, father against child, child against parents. They needed to be ready for this. They shouldn't be caught off guard when they experience the world's hatred and persecution, even when it comes from members of one's own family. And we'll get into that more more detail next time when Jesus develops it later on in the text. We'll do that next week. But for now, we'll end by focusing on Christ's call to be determined as we work in our Father's harvest field. Even when facing hatred because of our association with Christ, Jesus says in effect, they hated me and called me the Holy One, the Prince of Demons. What do you think they're going to call you? Right? They're pretty much calling Jesus the devil. The Holy One. And Jesus says, what do you think they're going to call you? I think we're, we're going to call me that. In such an atmosphere, it would be very tempting to give in to fear and to give up. But Jesus encourages us with these words. Verse 22. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now how are these words encouraging? Well, they remind us that only those who finish the race get the prize. They help us to remember which voice, if listened to, will really lead us to safety. Right? We think in fear, we run the other way thinking we're going to safety. But are we going to safety? No. But we listen to Jesus and we follow Him. Even through difficulty, we find pasture. We find safety. We find deliverance. It's one thing to be scared and frightened when facing persecution for Jesus' sake. You're not normal if you don't have any kind of fear for that. But it's quite another to allow those fears to control you. That's what Jesus is talking about. Do not let them control you so that your behavior is changed in a negative way. During World War II, a military governor met with General George Patton in Sicily. When he praised Patton highly for his courage and bravery, the general replied this. He replied this way, Sir, I am not a brave man. The truth is, I am an utter, craven coward. I have never been within the sound of gunshot or in the sight of battle in my whole life that I wasn't so scared that I had sweat in the palms of my hands. Years later, when Patton's autobiography was published, it contained this significant statement by the general. I like this one. I learned very early in my life never to take counsel of my fears. That's cool, isn't it? My brothers and sisters, we we will either take counsel of our fears or we'll take counsel from our Lord. Who are you going to listen to? Who's your counselor? We will either let Him guide us to our desired haven no matter how perilous the road or we we will allow our fears to take us down a destructive path which is away from God, 
And that's the most unsafe place to be. A dereliction of our duty. Now there's nothing wrong with fleeing to the next town when you're persecuted. Um, That's exactly what Jesus says. If you're persecuted in one town, he doesn't say just stay there for the heck of it. He says, go to the next town. If you remember, the Apostle Paul was lowered down a basket. He was snuck out because they wanted his head. There's nothing wrong with that. There's no shame in that. But sometimes God will not allow that escape. And you will have a choice to make. That's what Jesus is saying. If there is no safe, uh, holy, legal way of getting out of it, then you must stand firm in the Lord. So as he sends us out into his Father's harvest field, Jesus instructs us to be discerning, dependent, and determined. As I close, I want to make one last general observation and get us ready for next week to dig even deeper. One commentator writes this. He says, So there are three ways to meet persecution. First, cultivate the wisdom of the serpent with the simplicity of the dove. Second, Trust the Holy Spirit to give the answer in the day of questioning. Third, be sensible in the matter of self-preservation, being willing to die for Christ's sake, yet using avenues of, of escape for the continuance of the witness. What we need to honestly come to terms with is the fact that we just simply dislike witnessing. Well, you don't hear us Christians talking about that too much. We'd much rather someone else do it. In my flesh, if I could sell my drum set and let somebody else, I'll do it. Let them do the witnessing. Years ago, I read this book by Dick Eines. And the name of his book was, and I don't know, again, he must have the same kind of uh, gut as me where where, uh, we're not the best promoters of our work. The name of his book was I Hate Witnessing. Yeah, yeah. Not the most encouraging, right? I hate witnessing. But in it, he makes these refreshingly candid comments, and I hope they bless you, and I hope they encourage you as we meditate on Jesus' call for us to go. This is what he wrote. After I told God that I hated witnessing and was ready to quit, I continued my prayer. However, God, I said, even though I hate witnessing, if you want to use me to bring your message of love and salvation to others, then I'm available but you'll have to do it through me as I'm just too scared to do it myself. And then he wrote this. My witnessing life for Christ has never been the same since. That was one of the most honest prayers I have ever prayed, and it changed my life. This morning, if you don't get anything else out of the message, hopefully we can end it on this note, and this is something you can take away. Witnessing is hard to you. You have fears. Go before the Lord and confess to him like this brother did. I don't like doing this, but I'll do it if you call me to do it. But I need you to do it through me. I need you to give me the strength, right? The Great Commission, go, make disciples of all nations. And then how's the end? Lo, I will be with you always even to the end of the age. We have a mighty God. Let's pray. Father, I personally ask for forgiveness for taking too much counsel of my fears. But I acknowledge I can't pull myself up my own uh, bootstraps. I can't find courage within myself. 
I can only find it in you. And so we pray together right here this morning as your people. We pray that you would fill us with faith and that you would vanquish our fears, Lord, that you would work through your Holy Spirit in our lives, that we would not take counsel of our fears, but we would take counsel of our Lord Jesus, who has gone before us, who is with us, and who will lead us to paradise by his grace. Jesus, lead us not only here in Atlantic City, but wherever we're from, as we go back to our neighborhoods, to our families, to our friends, and even if we find rejection there, Lord, may we be faithful in bringing your message of love. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. New City's Sunday Sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Sandra Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New City's Sunday Sermon.